for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. We are live and amplified. So let's get ready to podcast. Fire it up. Welcome, everybody, to another live and amplified livecast. I'm your host, Tom Quiet, and we are back at it again with another amazing podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Kelly Moneymaker. How's it going today, Kelly? Fine. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was really glad that we were able to redo this because the last time uh, when we were first tried to do this, we had some very serious internet issues. Like, internet issues happen, but... This last time it was, yeah, it just was, wasn't. Normal. Every two seconds we were being cut off and yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, 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 yep. yeah, it was like that. So yeah, was, I'm glad that we've rescheduled now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so before we get started, I want to thank you so much for giving us the time to sit down and chat. Uh, but for the people that are just getting to know you or get just getting introduced to you, what's kind of your background? What got you into music? I started singing it too. My mom thought she left the radio on and then she realized it was me singing a song in the other room. Uh, I've just always wanted to do music. It was in my bones when I was born, as my dad says, it was in my bones. And uh, I've been very fortunate in my life. I, I just started um, working with some really incredible people early on. I was managed by Rick Fisher and uh, he discovered me at 13. He actually flew up to Alaska with his wife, Michelle, and they became my managers. I moved down to Seattle and recorded with them. I'd actually saved up all my babysitting money and produced my own record when I was 13. Oh, wow. And we recorded it at Dome Studios in Fairbanks, Alaska, mm -hmm. but they didn't have the capability of mixing it. So I contacted Rick and booked a session to, for a mixing session in Seattle. I flew down there with my guitar player and my parents and, um, you know, finished some of the vocals and Rick mixed it. And then he, after we had met, he flew back up to Alaska to talk to my parents about becoming my manager and having me move to, to Seattle with him. And so I lived at his house. Um, I was, we formulated a band. His wife created a band called Boy Toy mm -hmm. and, uh, she and I were the front people. And then later she was out with the tubes. So Pamela Moore came in and Pamela ended up singing with Queensryche later. Michelle had yeah. toured with the tubes and Todd Rundgren ended up marrying Todd Rundgren later. And so from those contacts, my career just kept going. And after that, I ended up in expose. Awesome. So, yeah. So you, you were in Seattle during like the, like, pivotal time where the Seattle music scene was kind of booming and yes, like really it was producing booming. some amazing content. Amazing bands, uh, always something exciting going on. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you could go to a club and see the Chili Peppers, Dan Reed Network, Echo and the Bunnymen, like all those bands. And um, it was just a really exciting time in Seattle. The live scene was really happening back then. Um, yeah. I haven't been back to Seattle in a while, so I don't know what it's like there now, yeah. but I loved living there. I, uh, the rain did not stop people from going out oh. and enjoying theater and music and whatnot. They just hardy, hardy people. <laughs> um, I find Kiwis and Alaskans to be very similar. Weather doesn't stop us from doing whatever it is we want to do. 
So, uh, you know, I, but, but like I said, I've just been very fortunate. And then I went, I met Jeanette through a mutual friend from Exposé. And we met for uh, iced tea at Jerry's Deli in Los Angeles. Um, I ended up, oh, I forgot. I ended up moving to Los Angeles after I sang with Todd on ne the Nearly Human album. And uh, I didn't know anybody in LA, but I had an opportunity to sing with a great band. And so I went and I had enough money to like audition and have one night in a hotel. And luckily I got the gig <laughs> or I could have found myself in some serious trouble. Yeah. But, um, and then from that, I met a whole bunch of people. And one of those lovely human beings, Shelly Percival, ended up introducing me to Jeanette Gerardo. And then JJ and I met for tea and literally spoke at Jerry's Deli for six hours. As you can see, I'm, I'm such a quiet person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but Jay and I hit it off. And, um, and they flew me out to New York to meet Anne. And the next thing I knew, I was supposed to be gone for the weekend and I was gone for three years. Oh, wow. Much. Yes. That's, <laughs> that, that, that's quite a turnaround. Like you, you plan on being out gone for a weekend and then it's like, nope, we're just going to yeah. kind of make this, make this happen. That's really Yeah. Cool. It was uh, a, a very exciting time. And then from, so from New York, uh, what happened? then or well i became a member of expose and was really funny when we first met she made a stand in a mirror to see if we looked like a girl group and then we sang christmas songs to see how we blended but no one knew the lyrics to the christmas songs <laughs> so that wasn't very successful but the minute we stood behind a mic together it was a blend like it was like we were sisters it was just a really great blend between us and I, Jeanette and I, what, the minute I met her, I'd always felt like we had been sisters our whole lives. We had always known each other. And Anne took a little bit longer for me to get to know. But once you crack open that, that outer shell of Anne, she's just all soft and gooey in the middle. And we became really close. So they're very dear to me. Um, even though I'm not a, an official member anymore, I'm a, I sub for the girls whenever one of them can't make a gig. But I'm so happy with them. Um, the way things worked out. I, I left because I'd been doing my original music for too long and just wanted to continue that creative process. Mm -hmm. And so I had replaced Joya because she had a node, um, a, a, a cyst actually. It was a cyst and it was non-cancerous, but it caused her a lot of vocal trouble. And so she left the group and I came in. And then when I left, uh, the girls called uh, Joya and asked her to come back. So everything worked out as it should. We all madly love and support each other. Um, and I've always said it's a sisterhood. I feel very, very privileged to be part of. So, yeah. Awesome, awesome. So how did you end up in New Zealand where you're currently at? <laughs> um, my husband, Peter Reckle, I think you're gonna speak to him later today. Yeah. Um, he and I, uh, we, we decided to honeymoon down here. I had always wanted to come uh, to New Zealand. Even when I was a kid, one of my older friends uh, her brother had backpacked through New Zealand after high school and came back and reported what a beautiful country it was. So I'd always had that in the back of my head. Also, I'm part Samoan. Mm. And so I wanted to, you know, if, when you're in the Arctic, you definitely want to see what the Antarctic looks like, the yeah. Southern Hemisphere. So Peter and I came here on our honeymoon. Um, we'd also gone on an icebreaker boat to Antarctica, which was quite exciting on a different trip. We had gone to Antarctica. And then this, this time we came to New Zealand on our honeymoon, fell in love with it. We, we went uh, caving 
uh, spelunk, uh, abseiling, spelunking is part of, you know, the caving. Yeah. Um, abseiling is when you drop from a platform into caves, about 700 feet. Oh, well. That was pretty exciting. Uh, we went bungee jumping and whitewater rafting, horseback riding. We hiked up waterfalls. Okay. So oh, because you're uh, we did everything. Antarctic, Antarctic, so it's a little bit easier to do that? <laughs> well, Antarctica was... Uh, it was like Alaska and frozen, but not as much, uh, not the diversity of wildlife that I'm used to in Alaska. Gotcha. New Zealand is all birds. We have the most spectacular birds here. And I love, I belong to this uh, Facebook page, uh, Birds of New Zealand. And I, I just love learning about all the different species of bird. It is the island for, you know, sanctuary for birds. Yeah. Um, but yes, we, we fell in love with New Zealand. And then we, after we did all those activities, we laid like beached whales in on the beach in Samoa because yeah. we couldn't move after all the activities we had done. It was, it was pretty crazy. So, yeah. Gotcha. And, and so uh, how long have you been in uh, New Zealand at this point? Well, we had come back time after time on vacation. And mm -hmm. then finally one, on one of our trips, we looked at each other and we said, why do we keep coming back? We, we love it here. People are very environmentally conscious here. Um, we just, it just was such a good fit. And then there was some sort of spiritual pull with me. There's work that I need to be doing here. I just felt there was some purpose that, that I had. And Peter, it, this is mountain biking heaven. And he'll, he'll, I'll let him tell you what the mountain biking is like here in New Zealand. Uh, so he's in heaven. And then the real tipper was we, we went back home. We, um, we had our daughter and then that really, spoke to us. We're like, okay, well, as parents, we, we're living in this really busy, hectic yeah. lifestyle. We want to slow down. We want to be with our child as much as possible. Um, I started doing recording at home. I built a studio in my house so that I didn't have to tour anymore. Yeah. And you know, everything became about, is this more fun than playing on the floor with my kid? Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of how we, we look at work and, and life now. It's like, is this more fun than playing on the floor? And nine times out of 10, you're like, eh, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean that we don't love what we do. It just means we have a different priority. And so we brought her here on a trip and she fell in love with it. And that was the, that sealed the deal. Uh, so we pat, we went back, we packed up our house, we sold it, we sold everything and moved here and, and we've been here four years now and absolutely love it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you, you've been, or once you left, just, just to kind of clarify the timeline a little bit, once you left expose, is that kind of when you stopped touring as an, uh, oh, no, it was years later after years? that. So I, I left expose in nine. Well, what happened was the, the production company pulled us away from Arista yeah. and they didn't realize that they couldn't do that. There was a clause in my contract that said that they weren't allowed to do that. And mm -hmm. then the girls had a favors, favored nations clause in their contract. So if one of us got something that meant the other two got it too. Oh, wow. And so uh, the production company pulled us away. They didn't realize that was a no, no. <laughs> And, uh, and then, so all three of us were able to get out of the record deal. And at that time, it was a good time for us to pull away because the production company was fighting with Arista, mm -hmm. with Clive. And so it was a good way for us to just gently back away from the situation. And, 
you know, Jeanette went and had a family. She was the first one to start her family. Then Anne started her family. And I was actively touring. Uh, Joya's voice came back and then mm -hmm. she started actively touring as well. Um, and I had produced, had written, produced, and and basically went out and had a career as an indie artist. Mm -hmm. After being in a really rigid label deal, I just wanted to experiment and see if I could do it on my own. Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, quite a bit of success as an indie. I, I broke Billboard um, at 87 as an indie on T-shirts and and CD <laughs> openers, nice. uh, exchanging those with DJs. And then I made AC40 Song of the Year, New, New Music Weekly AC40 Song of the Year with Can't Live Without Your Love, uh, which was the Bow and Hope love theme on Days of Our Lives. Mm -hmm. And I, then, I was going to, uh, I was going to work my, I was kind of working my way towards all that. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Keep, <laughs> And so, um, yeah, so, and, and I had just toured and, and been making music and, you know, I, I happen to like, like a lot of different genres because I don't feel that as a writer, we mm -hmm. should limit ourselves and major labels kept saying to me that I needed to have one specific sound. So I started my own label because I thought, well, you know, what? I hate nothing worse than when people tell me, no, I can't do something. Yeah. It just fuels a fire in me like nothing else. So I thought, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and, and if there's an audience for it, great. There's an audience for it. And, and so I did it. And I do other gigs and sessions and stuff to sort of fuel my music addiction to create stuff of my own. Gotcha, gotcha. So <laughs> you, you touched on this a little bit. You've had a lot of music featured in a lot of movies that I'm sure many people have seen. Um, and was the uh, song feature on Days of Our Lives, was that your first bout or was it Free Willy? A Free Willy was the first one because that was expose and, mm -hmm. and Clive uh, set that up for us. Yeah. Um, and we did say goodbye for the two of us, which we had tracked in Nashville, Tennessee in Franklin, um, which was uh, an awesome experience working in Franklin. We, there were some incredible musicians in Nashville and we had a good time doing that. Um, but after that is when the label thing, everything kind of uh, yeah. split apart yeah and so i opened my so i left expose in late 96 okay and and then i opened my own label i started gigging and doing stuff and uh, i started a band right out of expose called big pygmies with herman matthews mm. who was our drummer in expose and <laughs> herman and i just always had this great bond and so when when the group split up we started big pygmies mm. Um, I've actually come full circle now with that whole experience because uh, I'm now releasing some big pygmy songs on my new album, mm -hmm. this coming album, uh, yeah. which will be released shortly here. Uh, and so I'll be doing some of the songs that we wrote together in big pygmies, which I've loved forever and, and have not released. So, um, so in 99 started that and big pygmies had some exciting stuff going on we were offered some deals, but then the, the guys were touring with this person and that person, they were all, it was like an all-star band. So the mm -hmm. bass player and the drummer and the guitar player were all touring with the biggest names in the industry at that time. So it made it very difficult for us to get our own project off the ground. Um, and that's when I decided I'm just going to go solo and put out my own stuff and figure this out. So I sort of went to the school of hard knocks and had to figure everything out, but it, I wouldn't trade the experience for the world. Absolutely. You know, sometimes the best way to learn is just going through it, going through this, going through those steps. Yeah. Um, as I'm sure, you know, as you know, as a podcast host yeah. that, that you do, you have to figure out so much of it on your own in 
on the fly. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I mean, when I was starting to do this all online, there's a whole bunch of issues that I was not ready for. And luckily the first several weren't live on Facebook or YouTube or anything like that. So I was kind of able to kind of roll through it. But then once I introduced the element of being live, it was like, oh, there's a whole nother issue that we're going to run into here. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's live for you. Live TV, yeah, live radio. I, live every... Absolutely. What, what made you want to do a podcast? How did you Well, start? actually, so funny story that I did not do this by design, but today, actually right now we're launching our first, uh, our debut episode of our uh, very first radio show. We got signed to do a radio show in Roswell, nice. Mexico. And we talk about this very conversation. Uh, it uh, came out of a moment of pure panic because mm -hmm. we were doing like uh, record, like jam style sessions, recording sessions with bands and musicians. And they'd come through and, it, you know, we'd do that. And then there was a, so one day there was a band coming through. I was living in Roswell, New Mexico. Um, we there was a pretty big band coming through that wanted to do something with us, but they were running so late that they didn't have time to do two setups to set mm -hmm. up where we usually film and then set up again for their show. So it was like, well, we can just set up and do an interview and we'll call it that. And then I was I started working out the idea of streaming live on Facebook, and then it ended up like, hey, why don't we just do this with more bands and make it a podcast? So. That, that's right. kind of where we were at and how it kind of came to be. So, yeah, it, it was, <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it was a moment of, Oh, we don't want them to leave and not do something with us because yeah, we think they're going to be like the next Metallica or ACD, you know, just like name any big rock band. That's kind of, that's kind of how we feel about them. And I didn't yeah. want them to leave town without getting them. So. Well, good. Your, your resourcefulness <laughs> paid off, you know, yeah. and now I think that, and now during the pandemic, it's paying off again because it's like, I can't, like, I mean, I can work with some bands that are willing to come through, but not everybody's mm -hmm. willing. So yeah, this works just as well. Well, good for you. So, Congratulations. You. That's amazing. Thank you. So yeah. you'd mentioned that you're getting ready to drop new music. Mm -hmm. um, what's kind of the story? Is it a full length album or is it going to be an EP? Like, what's the story behind it? Uh, it is an EP. Okay. Uh, no, it's not what I'm saying. It's an LP. We're going to release a few singles first okay. uh, and do pre-orders. And that way we can gauge how many people actually want a full album and who wants vinyl and all those things. Yeah. Um, so we'll be able to gauge that. And then um, I also, so I, I'm now working for Blue Iris, which is a content company here in mm -hmm. New Zealand. And I've been brought on as the creative media uh production manager because I've just received my CMP degree from Massey University uh, here in Wellington. And it's been really fun because I've, I've gone back to school, which was challenging to go back after all these years. Um, but I'm grateful because I learned about all the new technology and all the new ways of disseminating and, and also just being around a lot of other like-minded creative people. I had not only the student body, but also you know people who are in the top of their field here in the industry who are our teachers there. So it's just been uh, really inspiring. And so I've come on board with Blue Iris since we have many projects in the works at the moment. Mm -hmm. One of them is my album. We'll be doing a new album for Peter. Mm 
yeah. uh, will be doing an album with a band that I've been uh, privileged to to produce with Dan uh, Silver, mm-hmm. and that is Backseat Taxi. Uh, I didn't even realize that uh, just recently I found out that Backseat Taxi had a placement on Cobra Kai. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and I was looking up some stuff, and and all of a sudden it just popped up out of nowhere, and and uh, and I thought, you know what? We have material from Backseat Taxi we haven't even released. And then we just wrote uh, two new songs, Dan and I did. Yeah. So we thought, you know what? This is fun. We'll we'll put this together. We'll put that out. We'll put Pete's album out. Uh, Key and Miller is going to have a new album out. And mm-hmm. we have, um, we're continuing now with the Christmas uh, album because yep. we had so much success off the back of that this year. Yep. Got to work with incredible local Kiwi talent, but it was a community building project between New Zealand, the UK and the US. Mm-hmm. So we had all-star musicians in the US. We had um, like Herman Matthews, my drummer mm-hmm. from Expose. He's from Tower of Power too. He was the drummer. We had the bass player from Kenny Loggins, um, Mike Manel and, and Gabriel Moses from Macy Gray is also a composer. So he's done Parenthood and White mm-hmm. Collar, and all kinds of shows. Um, in the UK, we had Mike Kay from formerly of Smash Mouth, oh, who wow. is an incredible producer, songwriter in his own right, and has his own band, Dead Romantic. So we just did these exchanges where if we tracked stuff in LA, then we had singers here perform with them. And if we had a band here in New Zealand and I performed with them. And so it's just this wonderful exchange. We had Mike Krumpus came and wrote with Nico Dohuki, one of our young artists uh, here in New Zealand, who's phenomenal. Um, we had the rock band Elk from here, be part of it. Nick Granville, who's an, uh, uh, an incredible guitar player and Roger Fox, who's like a living legend in New Zealand. Um, so we had this great community. It felt like a very global, loving, supportive community and everyone came together to help uh, put this album together and raise awareness for Futures Without Violence, um, which is an organization that helps women and children worldwide mm-hmm. because domestic violence yeah. has gone through the roof since COVID started. Yeah. So it just felt good. It was one of those really feel good uh, projects. Yeah. And then we didn't expect it to do <laughs> as well as it did. I mean, we we hoped that it would do well. And we had our marketing strategy in place, but we were shocked at the the amount of love and 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 enthusiasm uh, that it received. So, so now we're taking that and we're going to move forward with another Christmas project. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm about to shoot the first video off the new album, okay. uh, so I'm setting up production for that right now. For the up for next year's Christmas album uh, not no not for that for my own record oh, for my, your my own record okay. would be first okay. so it's coming okay. out first gotcha. um I was, yeah i was gonna say like january is a little early to start preparing for next christmas but <laughs> who am i well it, actually it's not because all the christmas shows uh shop for their music in july in oh, june really? and july so you know that whole christmas in july thing we were really living it <laughs> I had my living room was decked out in Christmas stuff in July and August yeah. uh, to shoot videos in here. Like the whole nice. front room just turned into a studio. Nice. And awesome. we're now changing that. We're moving into a production facility yeah. here shortly, which will be great because then I can have my house back. Yeah. And you <laughs> it's can kind small... not have to always have production stuff set up in your own house. That's exactly. And it's a, I live in a very small cottage. It's very cozy, sweet little cottage here in Wellington. It's, it's 120 years old Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, so it's, it's not a lot of space. So we're, we're moving out of here so that I can have my house back and also be able to find things. It's like, where are the lights? Where's my camera? You know, a lot of that going on. So 
Oh yeah, I I, I know the pain. I just <laughs> tore down. I just finally tore down my Christmas set from a couple of Christmas videos I did. Oh yeah, and it was mainly because the set was so hard to build that I was like. I really don't want to tear it down because it's going to take like four seconds to tear down, but it took me like three days to build. Yeah. And I was just I, like, I all that work, I don't really want to tear it down right now. But then it just got to a point where I was like, I feel really weird. It's the end of Jan- It's almost February and there's like Christmas set sitting behind me throughout my into all my podcasts. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I leave all the lights like super dark and whatnot. And it's like, nope. That's when you just... See drape a black curtain over it yeah. and keep it for next year. Yeah. <clears throat> I was finding this little tiny, uh, Kian had this great idea of one of the artists, um, blue snow. And mm-hmm. so we, we, he paper punched like a zillion snowflakes. Right. Yeah. And she blew the snow and it flurried. And then I found snowflakes everywhere for months afterward. I mean, it was in the cracks of my floor. It'd be stuck to my legs suddenly. Like, where did that come from? You know, I was yep. being haunted by these little tiny snowflakes. Yep. <laughs> That's the uh, same issue my mom had when we were younger and we'd rip up confetti for the New Year's Eve. It would mm-hmm. be like June and she'd vacuum some random place and still be finding confetti all over the place. It's like, yeah, sorry, I don't know. I know it's 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 a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. I'm hoping to contain in another location, not my own home. Yeah, (laughs) that's why I'm glad I have a very strict rule. Every like originally I didn't like it, but like the apartment I'm in now is all hardwood. Oh, that's nice. And but now it's like you know what? If I ever spill anything or something falls over, it's an easy cleanup. Like I don't have to worry about carpet. It's just yeah. break out the broom, sweep, sweep, sweep. You're good. Don't worry about it. And yeah. so now it's like hardwood all the way. So You have much cleaner indoor air with hardwood floors than you do with carpet. Yeah. Indoor Ex- carpet. Except you got to sweep like daily. Yeah. Or, yeah. You got to like, it's like <laughs> every day, sometimes twice a day, you got to sweep. Yeah. Or it, yeah. it doesn't change the dirt level. You just notice it more. Yeah. With oh, the yeah. hardwood floor. Yeah. yeah. Um. We, we were talking about placements and uh, one of the great things that I've had happen to me in my life is I've, um, I tapped into the licensing mm-hmm. game early on and felt really fortunate. I worked with Riptide Music Group and um, uh, Imaginary Friends Music Partnership as well and just had these great opportunities to place my songs. Um, and I've also done a lot of door knocking myself where you just are cold calling people and saying, hey, are you looking for music and whatnot? Nine times out of 10, you'll get no, but that one time you get yes makes all the difference, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's how the Days of Our Lives thing happened. They were looking for a love song and I had started one years before with Stuart Mathis. Yeah. We had co-written something and it never really, the song never really came together and it was just bits and pieces floating around for years. And, uh, and so they asked me to, uh, you know, Peter said, Hey, they're looking for a song and you should, you should talk to Ken and, and see. And I said, well, I don't really have anything right now. And so yeah. we, he, the Emmys were happening at the time. And Peter said, can you look at my Emmys, uh, the footage and help me put together the Emmys reel. Mm-hmm. And so I was watching footage of Bo and Hope making love. It was this big love montage that they had. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was watching the footage and I got sucked into the story and went down this rabbit hole of like rooting for Bo and Hope's love. You know, this is a testament to my husband's acting skills. And, and, um, and so, and all of a sudden the whole bridge and end of the song came to me and I called Stu and I said, Stuart, we got to finish this song. I, I finally figured out. <laughs> so, so we finished writing the song and, uh, and I took it to Ken and he absolutely loved it. And so it became the Bow and Hope love theme forever. And people were like, you're so weird. You wrote a love song for your husband making love to another woman. I was like, yeah, I know. I'm a little strange. It happens. <laughs> it, but when you love someone and you see how, how talented they are and how hard they work at what they do and they shine, you just want to support that in any way you can, you yep. know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. As he supports me, like he's my biggest cheerleader. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, and then you brody. also got, you also uh, staying on the sync placement and all that stuff. You also got featured yeah. in a few different like video games. You, you were featured in Guitar Hero, right? Yeah. Guitar Hero 5, I think. Okay. It was I was going to, I was just going to stick with the Guitar Hero because there's like 800 different versions of it. So I was just like, nope, we're just going to say Guitar Hero and... <laughs> Yeah, it was Guitar Hero 5. Um, we, so Dan Silver and I at, at Riptide, we, we mm -hmm. were writing different stuff. And, and we had one song that was, um, they, got, they got a call and they said one of the songs dropped out for mm -hmm. Gossip Girl. It was slotted for Gossip Girl. And, they, and it's that, this happens in licensing clearance mm -hmm. all the time where you're actively trying to work to clear a license. And then someone sold their publishing to someone else and someone yeah. else and someone else. And, then you're down a rabbit hole and you can't find where to go and yeah. it takes months and months. So when they're slating for TV shows or films, sometimes a song a director will fall in love with is the one that doesn't come through and they will turn to another licensing house and say, what do you have in that vein or that style or mm -hmm. whatever? And so they called Riptide and said, Hey, you have, we have like literally five to 10 minutes to get this in. Do you have anything? And I was standing next to Dan when the call came in Yeah. And he looked at me and I was like, yeah, listen, he, we had a, he had a track. He played the track for me. I quickly scribbled out a, a lyric. We sang it down and did, he did a quick mix on it and we shoved it in and they picked it up. And not only did they pick it up, but that song, Backseat Taxi by Backseat Taxi, ended up being like a hit for Riptide. And it's placed mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And it's it's been in everything from Hawaii Five-0 to mm -hmm. Burn Notice to... There was a movie called Confessions of a Go-Go Girl. Mm -hmm. um, that's the one that ended up in Cobra Kai just recently. Oh, well. uh, and so it just keeps, it's the, it's the little song that keeps on giving. Okay. And, um, and so that, that is now going to translate into us releasing uh, an album for Backseat Taxi, nice. a full album. Um, and then I've had a lot of other songs in American Pie, Naked Mile, yeah. Warrior, these were different songs in those yeah. films and that's warrior the mma movie with uh I yeah warrior with yeah yeah. Okay. yeah i saw that and then in the back of my head i'm thinking oh the warriors and then i was like nope there's a movie actually called the or called warrior different completely different movie but yeah, yeah and i think that i think justified was the one that was in there mm -hmm. I, I think that's the song that was in there but um yeah i i and i actually I hadn't seen the movie until yeah. just recently. Uh, it came up on Netflix or something. I <laughs> watched it yeah. and it's really good. It's yeah. a really good movie. It really yeah. is. It's one of those movies that I can't watch that often, but when I do, I love it. So. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Great actors in that film for sure. Have you, 
ever sat down to watch something and either forgot or didn't know your song was placed in a movie or a show and then you watch it and it's just like um didn't know that yeah yeah well that's just what happened with cobra Kai. okay No, I had no idea, you know, because you look at your royalty statements uh, for song placements and sometimes the product they're listed under production company and you don't know what the it's so sometimes it doesn't show up what actual episode it was in or anything. Um, You get limited information. So I had no clue. And so I went on to a forum and I said, hey, guys, I think my song was in a Cobra Kai episode. I kind of heard something that sounded like it. Do you know anything? And the fans came back to me and told me what it was, what episode yeah. and what time frame it had played in. That's... So I was, yeah, pretty grateful uh, for that. And recently I was looking up, like I, my band opened for the tubes years ago in Seattle and I was putting mm-hmm. together my CV and I was like, I don't know what date that was because they, the people who wanted my CD wanted actual hard dates, you yeah. know, month, day, year. So I went down these wiki fandom groups and people got back to me and told me what day I'd played. So this is pretty cool. Like I didn't even know this existed. So yeah. I'm so grateful to everybody who helped me figure out all these details. But yeah, I've, I've just been very fortunate with that. And I'm hoping that that will happen again this year, um, especially with the Christmas stuff. We, mm-hmm. We were late in the game of releasing that. We basically had three weeks to promote that album and we were blown away that we got two, 2.8, I think almost 2.9 million views on that Oh wow. uh, AV album. Yeah. And so we're, we're hoping to do the same. And then this year, because we'll be earlier in the stages of Christmas uh, marketing, we're hoping to get a lot more of those songs placed in film and whatnot. Yeah. And at least yeah. this year you have a, better idea of a worst case scenario for <laughs> Christmas. Like last yeah. year was pretty bad. And they're like, what, what could happen? We go into lockdown again. Like, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's why the album was so fully embraced is because people were just reaching for joy. And the album was called joy. We mm-hmm. wanted to bring the whole purpose of it was to make people smile and bring some happiness into their homes knowing that they're in lockdown, mm. knowing that they're worried about their loved ones who they, they can't see and hug anymore. So that was uh, an active thing on our part. We really wanted them to have a joyful moment. And so when we shot the reindeer, we, we did reindeer know how to groove, which I just thought was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to come up and, and sort of tip my hat to all the Motown artists who have really been an inspiration for me from the time I could, you know, crawl I just my parents were blasting Motown tunes and and soul singers and and so I wanted to to pay tribute to them and so I I wrote this Motown themed Christmas song uh, and the first line I had was hoof on the roof um because when I was little you know you actively listen for Santa's sleigh to land on the roof so I thought well that's a great starting point and then it just snowball it it literally came like a bolt of lightning after that Mm -hmm. and when we were ready to shoot the video, I looked at Kean Miller, who is uh, my boss and friend. And I mm-hmm. said to him, how would you feel? Cause he's an amazing dancer. He was in Wicked and, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, Cats and all kinds of musicals and stuff. And I said to him, how would you feel about wearing a reindeer suit <laughs> and dancing like a fool in this video, <laughs> making people laugh because he does this stupid dancing thing that makes me crack up. Yeah. And he said, for you, I'll do anything. So he did it and people loved it. And, um, and it just made us happy to know that we could make people smile in, in such a, a difficult time for everyone. 
Yeah, so, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so from there, now you're working on your own single, or it, it, technically it's the band album. Um, yeah. What, do you have a tentative release date on that yet, or is it all still pretty in the production process? Um, it's still in the production process. So, you know, I, I try not to <clears throat> put dates, hard dates out there until I feel that I'm close. And yeah. And I, I am pretty close, so yeah. it should be by summer. Okay. Um, and it, it is a solo album, but I am working with my band In the Black, which is Herman Matthews, Mike Minnell, and Gabriel Moses. Mm-hmm. Um, and our engineer, Frank Rosado, who is, he he mixed the the Blue Iris Joy album, mm-hmm. uh, except for one song mixed by Nick, Nick Granville, who did an exceptional job. Um, and Frank is like, He's my George Martin and my, like, he's just, he knows how to make a vocalist feel so comfortable and, and everything. This is my first time where I'll be, I'll be doing most of the vocals without Frank and I'll mm-hmm. be engineering everything on my own, which I did for the Silver Money record. I, I engineered those vocals alone, but I'm not, I'm nowhere near the level that Frank is. I'm a new engineer and I'm still learning uh, and growing and <laughs> doing the best I can. So It'll be interesting. I'll be pushing all the buttons myself and and doing a lot of the work uh, alone. Do you you find that now that you have a basic knowledge of production that it's easier to communicate with a producer or? I've always been my own producer and that right. I just have an engineer. um, Oh, engineer. Okay. Engineer forever. But uh, because Frank is really good at at making everything sound so wonderful. He is going to mix the album um, because... I don't know. He's also my good luck, like, you know, charm. He, he yeah. really is. He's just an amazing person as well as a talented engineer. But I've always produced my own stuff. Even when I was 13, I, I produced that first album of mine. And uh, I don't know. I feel like some, it, when, when, when I was in Expose, we had other producers and they were amazing. Mark, Mike Barbiero is one of the most fantastic producers in the world as Guy Roche and all these exceptional people. We were, we were fortunate to work with Diane Warren, who's an incredible, I mean, she's just a legendary songwriter. We had, we had wonderful people involved all the way around, but I feel that part of the artistic process for me is the production of it. And that's why I went back to school. I was like, I just really want to know more. Like, you know, the more, you know, the more you want to know. And I hope that I can continue to learn until my bones turn to dust. Like I just love learning. And so um, and now that I have learned how to direct films and edit and do all these things with film as well, mm. it's just fun. It's just yeah. so much fun to dive in there and do all those things yourself. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I directed VACA, um, which is being embraced by the film festival circuit. Um, we just got a, a an honorable mention from the Mont- Montreal Independent Film Festival. Oh, wow. We've been nominated seven times and we've won the bronze medal at the uh, New Zealand Design Awards, Best Design Awards, um, 2020. And so, but, you know, I, um, that process of making that film and directing it, but it made me want to real, it made me want to get better at all the other parts of filmmaking. So I come from the sound side, so sound design and sound recording. So on set, I'm always recording sound and stuff, but I really wanted to understand cameras better. I wanted to, it as a director, you want to know Mm -hmm. how all the components come together. 
And so I really challenged myself. So when we did the Christmas album, it was really important for me to not only direct, but also to, to be the camera person, to be the audio person, to do all those things. And it was fun because for Peter's video, you know, I did some sound design in that with the audio for the truck and, and yeah. ocean sounds coming through or with Nico Tahuki's video, he had a bunch of friends over and I made sure that we kept some of the sound of them partying in the video, which is not on the album. So it's just, it's fun understanding all these different aspects of the creative process. And so for me, having a producer interpret my creative vision is something mm -hmm. that I don't want anymore. Like I just want to interpret my own creative vision. I feel like, mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't mean that I can't learn from or grow by working with other people on other projects, but for my own personal ones, it's just fun for me to dive in all the way. <laughs> well, understood. Yeah. So yeah. when you sit, mm -hmm. when you sit down to like, when you were at the point where you were ready to start working on your album, what was that process kind of like, where you had you, are you like always continuously writing or do you specifically write for an album traditionally? Like when you sit down to write an album, work on an album, what's mm -hmm. kind of the process? You know, I feel like the, the process is always different for mm -hmm. every album and everything I'm doing. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not always actively writing songs because I might be in a project where I'm filming or I might be in a project where I'm producing something for someone. I, but when I'm ready and, <clears throat> and the creative juices start flowing, mm -hmm. um, I honor that. So if I am working on a project where I'm producing and suddenly I wake up at 3 a.m. and I have this like massive creative yeah. burst, I'll stay awake and honor that and write until <clears throat> all of it passes and is gone. Um, so I'm, I think I am always creating in my mind. It's always mm -hmm. like bits of, I love puzzles. And so little bits of puzzle float around in my brain and then they'll suddenly snap together and they're ready. And then I'll literally put them together and write a song in five minutes oh, wow. because pieces have been floating around in there forever mm -hmm. and they just have to find their partners. <laughs> um, but for this album, it's, um, it's a bit of both. I, yeah. So I'm honoring the old band, Big Pygmies, that I used to be part of. And bringing some, I have two tracks from that old band that I'm bringing in that we've re-recorded uh, with Herman, Mike, and Gabriel. And I have some new stuff coming through. I'll mm -hmm. be writing um, a new song with Gabriel Moses, the guitar player. We, we've started on something. We've also taken Like a Blackbird from my first album and we've revamped it oh, wow. to be more of an acoustic bluesy vibe. Um, and I'm... I've been playing my guitar every day. So I've just written like four or five new songs. I'll just keep writing. And then from those songs, I'll select the ones that I feel speak the best or, and, and sometimes you don't know until you're in there tracking. Mm -hmm. So some songs like you think, Oh, this is going to be really good. And then you get in there and you start tracking and you realize, yeah, that's, it's not coming together the way I thought. And so mm -hmm. I'll just dump that and start over yeah. with race against the sky. It took me nine years to get that record done because I wrote the whole thing, went in and recorded it, and it just wasn't coming together the way I wanted. And I just couldn't figure it out. Like we had gone into a great studio with great band of musicians and we played it all down, but there was an element that was missing. And after a while I was like, okay, I'm scrapping the whole thing and I'm starting completely over. And the, the deal was that there were just a few songs missing that filled out the puzzle for me mm -hmm. as a journey. The whole record yeah. was a journey. And so I took the time to write those songs, went back in and retracked the entire album. 
which was incredibly expensive for me as an indie. You can feel my pain. You know what it's like when you're setting budgets for yourself, that it's just so painful to do that. But I couldn't compromise. I just couldn't compromise the creative process. I I get it. I completely get it. (laughs) You know, it, it, it gets to a point where it's like, you're paying a lot of money to get in there and record. Yeah. And if you come out with something you're not happy with, even like, so like, if you're like, well, I can't really afford to recut all this, but I'm not going to be happy with it. So I'm not going to recoup my money anyways. Yeah. Might as well figure out a way to re-record everything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I was lucky because some of those songs licensed and were able to help me pay back some of the expenses from tracking it twice, (laughs) but uh, it's always a gamble. And but that's the beauty of being an indie, you know, nobody, I, I can only drop myself, mm. you know, there's no label rep to drop me because I didn't perform to their expectations. Yep. You um, only, you're the one that's calling the shots and yeah. Yeah. So like you said, you're, you drop, you, you're the only one that can drop yourself, which is yeah, yeah. kind of hard to do. Um, so outside of music, what are some of your hobbies? What do you do outside of music? Outside of music, I, well, I I guess the entertainment genre in general. Yeah. Outside of music. I, I love, I just love being with my, my family Mm -hmm. and my friends. Um, There's no greater joy. Like we just, I haven't had a break in the last four years, really. (laughs) I've just been pushing, pushing, pushing. And, um, and so Peter and Loden had gone camping and, you know, it, she's going to start back to school here shortly, which means we're not going to see each other at all. So I, I shoved everything aside and I jumped on a bus and took a bus out to where they were camping. Mm-hmm. And so that way we could all travel back together. And it was, it was amazing. It was only an overnight trip, but it felt like more than that because we had such a good time together. We're at this campground where they had a giant pillow. So she and I, it's like a trampoline, but it's a pillow in the, in the ground. Yeah. And so, you know, we're jumping on that. We're swinging, we're down by the water, you know, playing and, and this area we were in Foxton, it looks like Lake Michigan. Oh, well. It's got the sand dunes and this yeah. the grasses and everything yeah. looked very similar to Lake Michigan where Peter grew up and, yep. and we just had an extraordinary time and our dog loved it. He, he was sleeping in the lower bunk bed in our camper. We have a camper that, is only, um, it's a, it's 13 feet with the hitch, but it's like a Swiss army knife. Everything folds out and, and, uh, it has a queen size bed and two bunk beds. So mm-hmm. Loden has the top bunk bed and he has the bottom bunk bed. Nice. And, uh, we just all had a, an, an incredible time. So it's things like that, that, that makes me happy. I also love yoga. I love skydiving and I like th- thrill seeker kind of sports like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Pete and I had made a pact after Loden was born that we weren't going to, I wasn't going to skydive and he wasn't going to uh, ride his motorcycle anymore uh, because, you know. And how's that, how's that holding up so far? Uh, well, <laughs> I think I'm the one that broke it first because <laughs> he rides his bike more than he rides his motorcycle anyway. I think I broke it because I went bungee jumping Okay. Uh, just recently. I love it so much. Um, I, actually I haven't gone skydiving I, I haven't done that okay i actually sort went hot, i actually went hot air ballooning for the first time a few years ago oh yeah and like i mean that's not to the same level as skydiving or bungee jumping but 
yeah it, it there's just something about it that's really cool and like the landing feels like we're getting yeah. ready for some sort of extreme sport because you never know if the whole thing's gonna tip over or it's yeah. true yeah a big big gust of wind comes along you're at you're at you know mother nature's mercy <laughs> yeah pretty much i haven't gotten up the nerve to go bungee jumping but it's mainly because i don't like being hung by my feet ah uh. But I also know that there that you have the ability you could wear like the chest thing and go that way. You but can I do. Feel- uh, I I would recommend extreme swing. Loden went out in that with me, and it was really fun. Okay. So you're sitting in a harness, and mm-hmm. they just release you, and you swing through a gully, and it's really fun. Nice. So when um, she turns 18, she says she wants to go skydiving with me. We'll see what he says. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's- yeah. we'll see i'm sure there's a way you could proposition it well here you can go ride your motorcycle and yeah yeah we'll see we'll see what happens that's um but yeah but she she's a bit of a daredevil too i think uh uh oh i don't know what i've done yeah yeah I, i gotcha i gotcha so one of the things that we like to do on live and amplified is we like to pass on knowledge to younger musicians okay so just to kind of kick it off a little bit, what advice do you have for that young musician out there that is getting ready to either take that first step into the music business or they're fixing to take that next step, like whatever that next step may be? First and foremost, I mean, I know that <clears throat> this is hard to hear because all of us get you know, so excited and stuck in our creative aspects of the music industry. Um, and I can speak from experience that, you know, doing the business side of things isn't fun for any of us, but you have to learn it. You have to know your business and you're in the business of music. Mm-hmm. And so I can't emphasize that enough. If you're going to go out there in the world, you have to know how to create your art, but you also have to know how to make it, you know, lucrative so that you can exist yep. in and pay your bills and finance your next project and do all those things. I, I literally work my butt off to support my music habit, you know, mm-hmm. and you have to understand the business side of things. It, yeah. That's the most important thing. The, the other thing, and, and I'm about to launch a program where I will be, I, I mentor bands. That's mm-hmm. something that I um, t- take a lot of joy in doing is just helping the younger generation and uh, the young rock band Elk, I've been mentoring them for four years and mm-hmm. now I'm mentoring other students as well. But I'm about to do a program to help kids who are indigenous kids or people of color who don't have the same opportunities and don't have access to equipment, um, aren't still living at home or you know, <clears throat> they have a recording studio set up in their bedroom. I'm giving them access to gear and trying to help them mm-hmm. you know, just experiment and, and be in touch with their creative um, side of themselves. And so I think the biggest thing that I can say to people is, you know, follow your passion Mm -hmm. because your passion will be your truth. And the truth always leads to good things and don't give up. I've been told a million times that I couldn't do something and just let that be your fuel for your fire. Don't, don't let that discourage you. Um, early on in my career, I must've been told every single day of my life to get a boob job. (laughs) That is something, you know, that you need to look a certain way, that you need to be a certain something and fit a mold. And there are, there are ways and you just need to be creative about it. If you don't want to be, 
what every do what everyone else is doing and you have something different then embrace that embrace it and figure out a way to make that happen it doesn't mean you don't don't take advice from people or don't learn especially learning about the business aspects mm-hmm. of things but also honor that creative spark inside you you know you're you're having that spark for a reason you have a purpose and you have a you know reason for doing what you're doing and if your music's different or whatever just honor that and don't give up because the people who give up never make it mm-hmm. you know if you keep trying eventually i feel that it'll happen mm. i've been lucky because i've known since i was two that i wanted to be a singer yeah um and even with that said, I, I, you know, I went through school hard knocks and sometimes it takes you a long time to, to gain this wisdom and information. Um, so if I can cut 10, 20 years out of someone's career, yeah. learn the music business, yeah. honor your creative spark yep. and keep, don't ever quit. Yep. Absolutely. And that, that's one thing that's always been kind of interesting to me is the music business. How many people don't understand the music business at, or just like business, don't have basic business acumens in general. And yeah. it, it, it's always really interesting. It's like, you're going to go do that show for free and then complain about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, go, go intern at a label or a yeah. production company, go get that experience under your belt, you know, yeah. or go to school and take the business classes, yep. you know, yep. that's, but, I wish I had taken more of them when I was in school. I wish I had taken more business classes. Luckily, I took yeah. a bunch of marketing classes, which I didn't realize was going to end up being my career path. But, yeah. you know, I, I at least took that and yeah. had that knowledge. Well, marketing is business. You yeah. you have to provide a product and create a demand for, for yourself. And, and that's what we're always doing. And I'm, you know... I came from an era where it wasn't about social media and it wasn't about, you know, your, your cool clip on Instagram or whatever. <clears throat> so now I'm remodeling my entire career after coming from that era of mm-hmm. music um, and it being about radio and being on the road all the mm-hmm. time and all that, um, you know, things have changed. And that, and especially with COVID, we have to start thinking about the way we're, we're sharing our music mm-hmm. now. Yep. And and also trying to re-educate the public into the fact that we deserve to be paid for our music. Yep. You know, I had someone say to me recently, well, your song is 99 cents and, you know, 99 cents is, you know, a cup of coffee for me and blah, blah, blah. And yep. I'm like, well, yeah, you're paying 99 cents for my music and I've paid 35, $40,000 creating this album mm-hmm. and marketing strategy that puts it out there in the world. Yep. So your 99 cents helps offset that expense for me in a tiny way, but I need more everyone to spend that 99 cents to support. If you like what I'm doing, then please support me and download and not just stream, but download and help out the artists that you care about. I've been working through my head. Like I've been trying to figure out a way to help promote musicians by uh, like basically using Spotify to promote their album like i've been trying to work out a theory in my head and so so far it's gone nowhere but that's just mainly because i'm trying to wrap my head around how musicians can use spotify to promote their full-length album by only releasing the occasional single on spotify right but it's tough because it is a tool for marketing and we can't do without it yeah. And at least yeah. Spotify is paying something now, yeah. but you know, Pandora still pays us nothing. So yeah. I can 
you know, say, please don't use Pandora platform if you care about artists. Well, uh, but at the same time, like go, go to people's websites. If you like an artist, go to their website, buy their t-shirt, mm-hmm. you know, uh, do something that helps support them. Or a lot of people can put uh, Patreon, you know, accounts yep. or Venmo yep. or whatever it is, and just yep. make a donation every so often. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of why we launched the radio show that we're, that we're launching is because I know radio royalties still pay better than streaming. Yes. You're probably going to get ultimately get more from streaming, but per play you're getting more from the radio. So that that's why I've been trying to build up the radio scene because the royalties are still better. Even if you're only getting one hundredth, of the of the yeah. plays off a of radio yeah i mean where there's a will there's a way and it's yeah. just about showing people that we have value you know it mm-hmm. takes us a long time to learn our instruments mm-hmm. to be able to you know educate ourselves on what we're doing and yeah. it's a lot of years of of love and and passion and dedication involved in becoming a creative person yep. and so you know we need we need patrons. We need people to to listen and support, and and I think that's a big thing too. And that's why we need to learn the music industry side. That's what yep. I was trying to tell you. Yep. absolutely. Speaking of music industry side, if people are interested in the Christmas album we did, I want to say that it's Blue Iris A E R I S dot com. If people want to hear the album and also see all the music videos, they're all on the website and uh, on blueiris dot com. And then if you want to see the film that I had made, Vaca, with the mm-hmm. Tokelau people and their use of cultural wisdom and modern technology in response to climate change, mm-hmm. then they can go to kellymoneymaker.com and it's right on my front page. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, you, you brought me right to where we were headed. So um, <laughs> I, I, I want to thank you so much for giving us the time to sit down and chat. Uh, if people want to follow you on social and all that stuff, what are some of your, what are your social handles? Um, I'm Kelly Moneymaker on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So that's pretty easy. Yeah. You haven't broken uh, into TikTok yet? I, I am going to do TikTok stuff here coming up for the new album. So okay. I'm pretty excited about that. But I want to have like really fun stuff to put on TikTok. Okay. So I'm, I'm waiting till I start shooting these these clips for gotcha. um, the music videos. <laughs> gotcha. TikTok, like, I, I tell everybody, the two social media platforms that I'm really liking right now yeah. TikTok because the authentic reach is just bana- like I have yeah. no following on TikTok, but still I post something and it still gets like almost a thousand hits every time. That's great. So, like yeah. I, I have no following either. And then the second one is LinkedIn just for the professional. Oh yeah. I'm also Kelly Moneymaker on LinkedIn. Okay. I, I have LinkedIn too. I have pretty much everything, but uh TikTok, I haven't been active on, and I will be active on that for the new album because we have super fun stuff coming up for this new record. Awesome. I'm very, very excited to get in there and start shooting the videos and the clips and all that. Nice. So, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure you. talking to you, Tom. Yeah, you as well. We made it through without any technical issues, so yes. yay for that. Um, <laughs> but once again, thank you for joining us. Thank everybody for tuning in, and we will catch you guys later. Thank you so much. Cool. We are good.